Hello and welcome to this episode of So Talking Health. I'm Cathy Bishop, medical herbalist, and I'm the founder of the brand Into the Wild. And I'm Catherine Lund, and I'm also a herbalist, and I'm a health and wellbeing blogger. Welcome to this episode of So Talking Health. We have a great guest yet again for you, is Dr. Claire Nolan. And Claire, or Dr. Nolan, is an archaeologist and a psychotherapist, which is certainly a unique combination. And the work she does is amazing, isn't it, Cathy? It really, really is. And we were really keen to speak to her, especially as we're in the middle of the global pandemic that's been going on for a year and a quarter now. So as um, an archaeologist, she specialises in public archaeology, cultural heritage and landscape studies. And um, her speciality is um, understanding how heritage assets like um, outdoor monuments, castles, standing stones, things like that directly influence individual lived experience and how the historic environment can help support the individual and community well-being which I think is so important during this kind of Covid time and the global pandemic we've been going through for the last year and a half. Um, so I just loved how relevant her, her work is to now and how accessible it is and how easy it is for just anyone to gain the benefits of the of the um, work that she's doing um, it, you know it's fr- it's basically a free resource that everyone can use all you need is an OS map it's great because what one of the key things we spoke about was how people do, exploring the outdoors they rediscovered that connection to history and to nature and as the outdoor space has become so important to us um, in lockdown being able to sort of go out and walk in parks or nearby site you know nearby uh, places has really helped people cope physically immensely hasn't it yeah, and also kind of connecting into something greater than them and also kind of forming part, how it forms part of our individual identity and our collective identity. So I hope you're all going to enjoy it as much as we enjoyed recording with Claire. Her work's fascinating and we're really glad to share it with you. Well, I suppose I'm a, I'm a, a public archaeology researcher and a, a cultural heritage studies researcher. And um, I'm, I'm also a commercial archaeologist and working in uh, southern Ontario in Canada at the moment. There's um, a lot in there to talk about, obviously, already, yeah. because that's <laughs> where to start. But uh, so tell us a bit about your previous work and how you became interested in this subject. Did you consider this through archaeology, for example, or through, or through other means? Um, a bit of a mixture. So I, I started out, uh, did my undergrad in um, archaeology and history in, in Ireland um, and then worked in uh, research archaeology and commercial archaeology for a few years um, before deciding to do some anthropology. I went to um, Goldsmiths and did uh, a course in social anthropology um, and because I was sort of interested, I was always interested in um perceptions um how how people perceived things in the past and also how we perceive things now in terms of heritage and archaeology and so i was i was always interested in that psychological aspect mm-hmm. um and then but i also had a kind of um the other part of me with the other hat i suppose was i was always interested in helping other people and working with as opposed to dead people and the remains of dead people I wanted I was interested in working with living people as well so um, I eventually went and trained uh, in psychotherapy um, and and that brought me down a completely different route which I never expected to go down Um, and I uh, worked in community mental health in England for many years Um, but uh, along the way I was 
always still going to see sites and reading about archaeology. Um, and for my psychotherapy masters, my my um, my thesis was on ecotherapy and eco psychology um, and how people relate to their environment and how they derive well-being from their environment. Uh, but during that study, I was also encountering how people relate to their cultural environment, not just their natural environments, um, and never really got the chance to explore the cultural aspect. So it was burning away inside me for, for years. And eventually I decided I had to do something about it and, and went and, and did a PhD that integrated both uh, heritage and well-being. Uh, to look at the relationship between the two, um, but also to go into more depth in a site-specific case study. So I looked at um, uh, sites, prehistoric sites from, from Wiltshire, um, uh, namely Stonehenge, Avebury, and the Vale of Pusey, um, to look at how people perceive these sites and whether uh, they have an impact on people's well-being. Um, so that's in a nutshell that's kind of how everything came together mm, I mean that I mean for me that just ticks so many of my personal boxes as you know <laughs> <laughs> so um I'm just wondering if you can tell us anything about your findings at all and the impact that it that it has on people sure yeah yeah so um so what I was really interested in was the direct experience that people have uh, from, from heritage assets themselves, as in the actual archaeology itself, mm. um, and how it impacts their lived experience. And um, that's kind of in contrast. So the, the background to all this, there's, there's quite a lot of work happening in the heritage and well-being area. Um, and a lot of it um, focuses on, on how heritage can be a mechanism to well-being so how it facilitates you know we'll say people might um, come together around a common interest so um, heritage can bring people together and it creates social networks it gives people new skills uh, can help people get back into employment so um, the a study there a while back um, by the heritage lottery fund sort of split the effects into transactional and emotional. So the transactional is more the kind of, um, you know, the skill development and all the, all the things that, that happen around the heritage assets themselves. Um, whereas the emotional is sort of more in relation to um, the direct impact of it. So what comes to mind, what people um, experience effectively when they come into contact with heritage assets or go to uh, sites, and, um, and it was that kind of in, more intangible uh, experience that I was chasing. Um, so mm. I interviewed people from the area, did um, interviews with uh, local people. And I also took um, different groups, uh, groups of visitors, but also a local group out to walk um, in the Avebury landscape, which is a prehistoric landscape um, covers miles but it, it's full of different monuments and um, sort of stone lined avenues there's quite a lot to interact with there yeah. um, and of course um, Avery Henge as well um, so I yeah I took people out on experiential walks um, and really what I was asking people was you know um, how what are you experiencing as you walk or as you come into contact with a standing stone or whatever it is Mm. what's coming to mind what does it remind you of what does it make you feel what do you notice um and i asked people to 
um, to document this. Um, for the local people, I, um, I asked some people to keep uh, what, what you might call um, like a diary in advance of our meeting so that they could sit down and think about how they actually do relate to these places in their day-to-day lives. So I think it's very easy for us to take for granted what's around us in terms of mm. uh, built environment or the heritage, um, the historic environment. And uh, so I kind of wanted people to just reflect and, and maybe, you know, in some cases, I presume some people probably had already had these thoughts, um, but others may not have. And, and actually that approach really worked. And um, and what I found was uh, largely um, I took the kind of the most frequent references. So in terms of um, positive affect that people referred to, um, the stuff that came up the most uh, revolved around three main themes. And um, the first of those was security. Mm-hmm. And the next was around connections um, or connectivity. And then the third was possibility. And so security really uh, related to um, the physical nature of the sites and the monuments, um, but also, and how people felt or feel protected by them. So people might, you know, go to their local Iron Age fort and just sit down inside it and sit there and contemplate for a while. And they feel strengthened by the, you know, the sheer scale of it. Um, the same with um, henge enclosures and henge monuments. And then the age of these sites. So there's something about the kind of the, the presence of age and the weight of age that's grounding for people. Um, but it also, it's, it's almost like time traveling for some people. Mm. And so they seek these sites out as a place of refuge from the modern world. Um, and then the other side of it was the narratives of these sites. Uh, so they, they, they perform a sort of, uh, they offer a sense of security to people as well because they reinforce um, their sense of identity uh, in relation to the landscape, feeling part of the landscape, um, feeling part of a, a greater collective of people going back into the past. Uh, and sort of really what came out of that was more this identification with, with humanity um and and you know our human identity and then there were individual like site narratives that or at least site uh, narratives that that people perceive at sites um so for a lot of people um they they you know see these sites as ritual sites and so uh people with spiritual beliefs would relate to that because they they value uh, ritual and so to to go to these sites and spend time at them, it helps to reinforce their sense of spirituality and, and self. Um, so that's the, the kind of the security angle. Um, and then with the connect, oh, like all of these main themes sort of overlapped as well. So the, the connections um, were to do with how people, you know, feeling connected to people in the past and really, you know, touching a standing stone or touching an artifact and feeling, oh my God, I'm almost shaking hands with my ancestors, you know. Yeah, I and, can relate that as well actually from previous experiences especially as a child I really I really got that sense <laughs> yeah I, I think it's, I think that's probably one of the most common actually and it's because it's the most tangible as well in a way yeah it's um, material culture isn't it and yeah yeah exactly and how we're all linked together and, and really that was the main sort of uh, theme that ran through that you know it's connections with 
past peoples. It's feeling connected through the landscape that you're in because you're the next bunch of tenants in that landscape. Mm. Um, so people felt like they were connected in a community through time almost. Um, and then there were, there were connections around um, the, what I've referred to as the more than human. So, you know, people felt that actually standing stones in their local area were like members of their community and that that was a kind of a comforting thing. Um, uh, and the same with the idea that people have been there in the past, that feeling that people have populated the area for thousands of years is a comforting thing to people. Yeah. They feel held by it and contained by it. There's that intentionality in there as well by the people that constructed those sites originally. You know, they, they intended to bring something of themselves, which I can imagine adds to that feeling. I guess so. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, you know, they came there for whatever reason. They built these things for whatever reason. We think special reasons. And I think all of that just, it, it sort of leaves a, a resonance or a residue in, in, in the landscape that you can't help but pick up on, you know. Mm. Um, so, Clem, but, was, it, was these findings, because uh, I've not heard of this research before, so it's, it's obviously something Kathy and, and yourself are very connected to. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, had anybody explored this before? So was this completely new to you? Or was this finally somebody actually setting down on record people's connection to these uh, to these monuments and areas and landscapes and so on? Yeah, well, no, I mean, bits and pieces have been done. So there's there's been, there has been a lot of work done in the Stonehenge area, actually. Um, but it sort of was more, more on a sociological uh, kind of scale. So we'll say... Um, Barbara Bender did a lot of work and she interviewed people in the landscape. Um, so I think, but I think it was the first time that it was properly um, linked to well-being. Um, and and at the, funnily enough, at the very same time, another project was doing similar work. And so it was something in the air that we all seem to come up with the same idea at the same time. And it, uh, the Human Henge project is another project. They've done similar work. Um, I think they've come out with slightly different results, which is also interesting. Well, they have some similar ones, but also different ones. So we have different approaches. Um, but yeah, I think I think I also think that this stuff has come up. It's come up forever through in you know when we talk about heritage, um, especially the connective side of things. Um, it's always been there in the literature, but it's never been sort of. Uh, looked at specifically in relation to well-being and I think now it's just I guess what I'm trying to do is just formalize it and and really pinpoint it as well and and kind of um, make it clearer exactly how heritage impacts us if that makes sense. So that you're actually doing quite groundbreaking excuse the pun kind of work really in that area um, just to tie all of those ends together and really give it a focus. I, I hope so. <laughs> I feel as though it is from what you've said. I'm very excited by by your work, to be honest. I Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, no, I hope so. I think what it is, you know, somebody has talked about it before. They talk about the idea of uh, what's called intrinsic value. So we have the economic value of heritage. We have um, the institutional value and uh, instrumental value. But the intrinsic value is what um, some academics have called um, the kind of intellectual spiritual and emotional impact that it has on us um and that you know there was a, a, a conference in 2006 and this came up this idea of intrinsic heritage uh, or intrinsic value rather um 
that we, we, we're finding it so difficult to evaluate it because you can't quantify this kind of experience. Um, you know, it's so deep within us. And, uh, you know, a lot of the time I spoke to people, they were like, oh, it's, it's a feeling I can't, I can't tell you, I can't quantify it, I can't describe it. And so we'd have to drill deeper into their experience and into their felt experience to really try and describe what it was that they were experiencing, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think maybe it's probably the, the first time or I'm, I'm one amongst many other people who are trying to, you know, um, put a shape on this intrinsic value. Yeah, to kind of galvanise it. I'm imagining it's the kind of thing that can be oh, and has been expressed in things like song, in poetry, maybe in a in a kind of visual artistic form as well. And that's really difficult to quantify academically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. you're spot on. Yeah. So obviously, we're recording this during the pan during a global pandemic, and obviously yourself over in Canada, you're also subject to a lot of the same things that we are in the UK at the mm -hmm. moment, the lockdown and all of the restrictions that that's putting on people. Now I know is a time that people are really, really looking to engage. They're wanting to get away from their computer screens. They, they're totally zoomed out <laughs> essentially from meetings. So people might be really interested to learn more about how they could access this level of well-being, I think, because where you live, you tend, I, certainly my experience is that you tend to take your surroundings very much for granted. Um, so if you're a Londoner, you wouldn't necessarily go to look at the crown jewels at the weekend, for example, or, mm. you know, um, you really have to start looking at where it, your environment and your surrounding area in with, with kind of new eyes, really, you, rather than taking it for, um, for granted and just being kind of subconsciously aware almost it's kind of it's kind of bringing that subconscious awareness out to the forefront of your consciousness I can imagine yes um yeah so I was I it would just be great to hear about some of the benefits that people um could find if they were able to integrate um this into their lives basically yeah I mean so the benefits kind of, well, I guess, sorry, I'm getting there in a long-winded way. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's good. Really, it's the it's the meaning. I think people, um, you know, they were able to step back. The, I think that the, the depth of time that these, um, these places and sites represent helps people uh, put their lives in perspective uh, to think, okay, well, you know, we've been here for thousands of years. I'm just here in the blink of an eye and... In one way, it's like, let's just stop worrying about things. We don't need to worry so much, you know, let's just calm down. Um, um, but then on the other hand, it's it's also, we're only here for, as individuals, we're here for a short space of time. Let's make the most out of it. So there's these kind of existential kind of um, awakenings that people have from contemplating um, temporality, I suppose, in a way that that, you know, heritage assets bring up for people yeah. um also just it's grounding it gives people a sense of place um and then the the last area i was talking about i was about to talk about was the idea of possibility it just mm. is probably more relevant to what you've asked is is that it opens up people's landscapes to them it gives it sort of helps them see them in a new light and it makes them feel new and alive and full of you know potential 
Um, and it just gives new meaning. I met a, a man who, um, one of my interviewees, and he he said that he moved to the area and, you know, he used to bring his dogs for a walk. He started to get into the archaeology of the area. Um, and then he one day found an arrowhead while out walking. And he said it just opened the doorway to the whole area for him and it changed how he saw it. And it just made his whole life, you know, endlessly meaning more meaningful. Um, uh, that actually happened a number of times. Um, other people said something similar. Um, and uh, and it, it just kind of, I think, yeah, I think people appreciate, you know, they look at what humanity has created in the past and they marvel at it and, they, and it kind of um, gives them confidence as a, as a race, a human race, you know, that we can do all these things and, and we have so much potential. Um, but I think, I think the, one of the biggest things that it, it did for people, um, a lot of my, um, the participants talked about how they use uh, these places as contemplative spaces. So they'll go to a stone circle or they'll go to an Iron Age fort um, when times are tough. You know, um, one man talked about going there um, when he had a bereavement or when he, um, his marriage ended and, um, and, and there was a lot of people talking about it and saying how actually there's something about going to these places, walking in these places. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't just have to be a stone circle. If we were all so lucky to have a stone circle in our, in our <laughs> neighborhood, um, it could be, you know, it could be just a church or, um, you know, lots of different, different sites, but it's, it's sort of, it's, it's like you're, in the world but you're kind of not in the world you're, mm. you're sort of almost going back in the past i think people get a feeling of safety where they can go to these places and just let go and let their minds you know free uh to to think about things and often uh, people said that they came out with an answer to their problems um after doing this yeah um, yeah kind of like switches on something a bit more creative doesn't it yeah, it's a, what I've referred to as a kind of a transitional space um, mm. or other researchers call it a heterotopic space. It's somewhere you can go to switch off and, and, it, and then it, you can transform. You know, it gives you the permission almost to let go um, yeah. of things, you know. And, you know, you could apply that to so many different types of um, heritage sites and, and even, even contemporary architecture as well. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. I love that concept. Is it, sorry, is that heterotropic site? It's a new phrase for me. It sounds great. Is heterotopic, that yeah, heterotopia. Um, that they're they're kind of a place apart, but sort of still in the world, and it's uh, it's a place where you can have unstructured thought and just you know let go and relax. Um, that sounds so, amazing. It just sounds. Like because um, in during the last year, and I suppose this brings me to my question really, but I haven't been going to a heritage site. But the thing that I've said to more than one person is the thing that sort of saved my sanity is, um, I feel, is my morning walks in particular. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, although it's not the same thing, I think, I do wonder if there's some sort of similar connection that I'm taking myself to a space where I could just think and be different. And has... I know your research doesn't cover this, I suppose, but mm-hmm. do you have any awareness of, or could you sort of sense how, if people are going to a different space when they go to these sites, that's going to be of particular value, isn't it, during the, the last 12 months? Oh, gosh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if people have been able to, I, I know certain sites have been uh, have been cut off and, and closed during the pandemic. Um, 
I think I've, I've certainly seen examples on Twitter where people have just gone out for walks to places. And I think I think people have been making use of it where they can. Um, but when when we haven't been able to, um, I think there's now a big push to do things online to try and engage people with heritage online in a, in a more meaningful and experiential way, even though they can't physically be there. Um, so uh, I think I think people are will will try to do it however they can. But um, yeah, if if you have local sites near you, you know, just give it a try, I think, is the uh, is the main thing is to if, if it's something you haven't done before, then maybe, you know, just check out what's in your local area. And uh, if, if you can, if it's not closed, but um, the other thing to do is maybe really the the Bible <laughs> is the is the OS map. If you have an OS map um, for your local area or if you can access one online, there's usually uh, you can get them on Bing Maps. Um, you start to see things in your area that you didn't know was there, you know, and um, and the minute you start to dig a bit deeper, because that's the other thing, it's not just about what you can see. Again, my, my research was about like exceptional areas where there's, you know, monuments visible everywhere and um, you can't help but notice it. Um, but if, you know, there are, there's, there's archeology span under our feet everywhere we go, especially in England and, and Britain generally, it's just everywhere. <laughs> so I've got a million questions, Claire, because I was thinking I live in a city and it's very different, but I, I love the idea, as you're saying, of getting a map because I bet you anything I could learn the map out and I would probably discover things I don't know. So that sounds like <laughs> really good too. Yeah, it's it's so exciting. And, the, you know, the minute, because, I mean, I used to live in London and, and uh, in a kind of urban place. And the more I started to learn about the archaeology of the area, um, the more meaning it had for me and the more I, I felt grounded and more belonging in it and, and so on. So, but, you know, the other thing is um, whatever you can't see on a map, there are resources. So if you go to Historic England, um, they have loads of resources about different places that you can look up. So there might be uh, information about excavations that have happened in your area uh, maybe a long time ago. And obviously you can't see um, the archaeology anymore. Um, but the other, the, the, actually the main place to go is the Heritage Gateway. Um, which brings together um, records from all over the country and historic environment records that you can access. And you can literally just type in, you know, the area that you live in um, and then go and explore what's in those documents. Um, I'm going to go and do that, I think. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's amazing what you'll find, you know. Um, so that will just start the journey for some people and then you can just build on that, I think. Absolutely. And for people that don't know, can you explain what an OS map is? Because there might be um, people that have just never come across or looked at um, things in that level of detail before. Of course. Sorry. Yeah. Didn't think of that. <laughs> um, so an ordnance survey map. Um, mm. And so really, it's just a, a very detailed map of um, there's there's an ordnance survey map for every area in Britain. Um, you can usually get them in uh, Waterstones or... Uh, I think you can get them in WH um, Smith as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so you can pick them, pick them up quite easily and get them in your local library. Um, and um, you'll be able to find the one for your area. And then um, it's just a case of going through it, really. Oh, that sounds so fascinating. I hope that 
kind of we're going to inspire a whole a whole group of people to go out and check out and look at their their areas and their landscapes they live in with new eyes even if they're like from the very urban um areas right down to obviously something um more open yeah yeah i mean yeah we're incredibly lucky in the uk with access to information in some in some places so in in ontario there isn't as much um information available to the public Um, and so it's harder to find out what's in your area and you, you can end up feeling a bit disconnected because of that whereas um in britain you've just there's so many resources um and there's there's so much to find as well you know Oh, that's brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time, Claire. If people want to find you and connect with you and learn more about your work, where where can they do that? Um, best thing is to just give me an email. So it's uh, Claire, C-L-A-I-R-E dot Nolan, N-O-L-A-N 80 at uh, gmail.com. Um, oh, and you can, I'm on Twitter as well. Uh, you can check out um, my academia.edu page as well. You want uh, Claire? Your Twitter is Claire Nolan, or uh, will that bring you up? Or? I think it's Doctor Claire Nolan. Got to get that right. Get the full title. In. <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've earned it, so we should. We can link those in the show notes as well. Absolutely. So to check out, check out. Well, have you got any more questions, Catherine, that you want to... No, I think it's... I've got a million questions. <laughs> but what I love is it's just got a million thoughts going in my mind. And I'm hoping that's the same for people listening to this, that inspires them to just get out and connect with their area. Um, and as I said, I've loved walking around my local area and it's been real... Uh, it's been good for my sanity. But as I say, as you say, I've been discovering new things and things that weren't there before and, mm. you know, got me questioning and thinking. So, I, yeah, I hope it inspires people to do the same. So thanks for your time, Claire. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to So Talking Health. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and can take a little something away to help you in your everyday lives. And if you have found something to help, either in this episode or any of other episodes, please rate, review, share and subscribe So Talking Health podcast on whichever platform you listen to it on. We'd be really, really grateful and it just means that we can help grow the podcast and reach more people like you. Thank you. And goodbye. Until next time.